This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There is more to the story than just postpartum depression. This podcast aims to share it all, from personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to new parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Mom and Mind podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kat, perinatal mental health certified psychologist. And I am really excited to welcome on my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Marissa Long. We are going to be talking a lot about fertility and uh, fertility journeys and the mental health impacts of that journey, both from the patient's experience of the process and the patient's experience of dealing with and interacting with medical care providers. And there's a lot to cover, so we are going to get into it. And just know, as usual, on all of our podcast episodes, we are talking about parts of an experience and not the whole entire thing. So you will hear a lot of really good information and probably be able to resonate if you were on that fertility journey yourself, uh, or certainly if you are a provider looking to learn more about what a patient's experience might be. So Dr. Long is going to really help us get into it and uh, find out how patients can be affected by this process. Dr. Long is a sought-after expert in the field of reproductive psychology. As the owner and clinical director of Art Counseling and Wellness, a private practice in Southern California, Texas, and Louisiana, Dr. Long is dedicated to helping individuals and couples who are going through fertility treatment, as well as women with high-risk pregnancies and pregnancy loss, to relieve the emotional distress associated with these challenges. Dr. Long has also just recently launched Psyched Book Club, an innovative book club facilitated by therapists to support mental health, self-help, and social connection through conversation and education. Dr. Long is also a lifelong dancer. She even performed during the halftime show of Super Bowl 32 and in the Sydney Opera House just a year later. As you can tell, Dr. Long has a lot to share with us. So let's get into it and meet Dr. Long. Welcome everybody to the Mom and Mind podcast. I am your host, perinatal psychologist, Dr. Kat. I am so excited today to have on my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Marissa Long, to talk to us about fertility-related issues as it pertains to perinatal mental health. 
we're going to get into some really good and interesting information that I think will be useful for both people who are maybe starting their fertility journey and people who want to learn more about it. Dr. Marissa Long is a sought-after expert in the field of reproductive psychology. As the owner and clinical director of Art Counseling and Wellness, a private practice in Southern California, Dr. Long is dedicated to helping individuals and couples who are going through fertility treatment, as well as women with high-risk pregnancies and pregnancy loss, to relieve the emotional distress associated with these challenges. Dr. Long has also recently launched Psych Ed Book Club, an innovative book club facilitated by therapists to support mental health, self-help, and social connection through conversation and education. Dr. Long is a lifelong dancer. She even performed during the halftime show of Super Bowl 32 in the Sydney Opera House a year later. Wow, that's an amazing set of skills you have. Dr. Long, I am so excited to have you here. It, it is a long time coming. As your friend and colleague, I know how much you contribute to the field of reproductive psychology and perinatal mental health. And I'm really excited to have you on to share your expertise with our guest today. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Super excited. Yeah, I want to start off a little bit with um, kind of giving a primer to everyone who's listening about what a health psychologist does and specifically your area of expertise. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's a funny question because I'm thinking back to a conversation that we had a couple of years ago and you said, every psychologist psychologist should be a health psychologist. And I was like, yeah, you're right. And yet we're not, right? Mm -hmm. So a health psychologist has extensive training in where the body and our mental health uh, very specifically connect. So when we have health issues, whether it be chronic pain or illness, cancer, we're in a hospice, we're dealing with a family member, a loved one with you know, severe physical health issues, disabilities, whatever it may be, and the connection to a relation of those things to our mental health as well, and vice versa. So sometimes when our uh, mental health is poor, then it will, you know, create um, certain things that show up in our body in ways that health psychologists are more astutely trained to kind of recognize and write referrals for and support too. Again, like just going through the list of things that you were talking about, it's just so frustrated that all of us aren't trained in this, uh, especially because we talk about the mind-body connection so frequently in psychotherapy across the board. Why is it that in sort of like you know, traditional mental health training, we're not talking Mm. more about how the body and mind are connected in these ways. After all, like health is mental health and mental health is health. Like this seems pretty straightforward, but Mm. here we are. So, so very specifically, what in in terms of your area of expertise and specialization Mm -hmm. with fertility, uh, what kinds of issues and challenges are you seeing with your patients? Yeah. So there's no real typical fertility patient that I see, but folks will come in with a long time struggle of trying to conceive, whether that long time for them is three months, six months, six years, 16 years. And by whatever time they've come in to see a reproductive psychologist, typically they're recognizing that mind-body connection within themselves and wanting to get ahead of it so that they can be in the best space possible as they're going along the fertility journey, or they've already had significant emotional, mental, relational impact from their fertility experience, and they're coming to kind of repair and recover from that. The fertility journey really starts from when you decide you want to conceive to long after you have conceived, if you've been given birth or adopted or 
have a surrogate or whatever dream you decide to choose, it's not as simple as what people often think for themselves or for their patients or their friends, that that fertility journey completely resolves once you conceive or once you have baby. Um, it really continues long after. Yeah, that's quite a span of time. I'm just thinking about the fact that this could be years and years. Maybe too, if there yeah, multiple fertility journeys to have multiple mm. children uh, as well. Mm. But if you can go just a, a bit deeper into some of the reasons why someone might be reaching out to you specifically, the kind of depth of experience that somebody might have in their journey. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I would say about half of the fertility clients that I see are self-referred and half are referred by their medical provider. So the folks that are self-referred are often coming because they either just can't figure out what's wrong with them. Mm -hmm. uh, using my cold fingers there, they are crying a lot. They're extra stressed. They're missing appointments, not sleeping. They're having difficulty in their relationship, either just in terms of communication or being on the same page with their partner about their fertility journey or um, sexual issues that come up because of what a lot of the fertility process can do in the context of a sexual relationship. And then there's the folks that are referred by you know, a medical provider, their reproductive endocrinologist or um, the nurse practitioner that they work with at the REI's office. And when those referrals come in, it's a bit of a different presentation. Those folks are typically coming in for one of two reasons, either because the medical team over at the REI office is has been witness to some distress, either the patient's crying in the office or you know refusing to stop treatments even though they've reached a natural end or you know something like that, or a provider is wanting the client to go through some sort of process that would require a uh, assessment of some sort, whether it's having a donor egg or sperm or something like that. So if, if you can quickly Give us a little bit of an explanation of what a reproductive endocrinologist is and what REI yeah. means. Yeah. So REI stands for reproductive endocrinology and infertility. So um, your REI doctor, your REI team, um, just a quick and easy way to say it. Mm -hmm. uh, reproductive endocrinologist basically is a specialist in making babies happen for folks who are looking mm -hmm. to conceive. So they, um, you know, know all of the... Um, reproductive organs, the medications, the procedures, and they and their team will take you through the entire fertility journey from once you step into the office until they hand you off, depending on, you know, your particular presentation, you know, between eight to 12 weeks into your pregnancy um, to your OB for um, completion of your pregnancy. So somebody could be working with an RE for some time then, um, trying to get Absolutely. to the point of being pregnant and staying pregnant. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Depending on, you know, what the presenting factors of fertility are in the individual or the couple, mm -hmm. um, they could be seeking reproductive support from a RE doc for a few months or several years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it, they really become a, a team in the process to continue. Sure. This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories 
that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Um, So I think a lot of people associate or or would call this kind of doctor like a fertility doctor um, in kind of layman's terms, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So if if somebody were to be seeking this kind of uh, fertility doctor support, what types of treatments might an RE be supporting a client with? Yeah, well, generally the initial is going to be just tests and assessments of each individual involved in the process to see what the fertility issue is. Sometimes it's a female factor issue, sometimes it's a male factor, and sometimes it's a combined factor, and sometimes it's unknown. And once they you know, do their tests, do their assessments, then they can determine which procedures they might recommend to the conceiving party to move forward with to make the And so some of the most you know, well-known kind of fall under a, an umbrella called IVF, um, in vitro fertilization, but some others might be IUI or ICSI, as we call it, where there's assisted procedures to, you know, mix sperm and egg or mix sperm and, and, and egg through injection. So it, it kind of depends on what the presenting factors are, what the steps are that a client or couple might go through, but those can also be repeated several times depending on you know, whether conception is achieved and maintained, um, financial resources, um, which is a very, very real factor um, across all fertility treatments, not just IVF. Um, so there's, there's a lot available and, you know, science is um, adjusting and, and growing every day. So the rates of success are, you know, shifting from time to time. Um, available treatments are, are shift, shifting from time to time as well. So, I think what I hear a lot from people is the the impacts of these processes on them and their mental health and certainly their their physical health as well. And I think you alluded to it a little bit ago when you were talking about like the impacts on the sexual relationship for um, a couple is that there's sort of like a medicalization of the process or it becomes very 
just like rote and something we we have to do. Mm. So the emotional part sometimes is absent or it feels like it's hard to connect to in the way that people are hoping to conceive, like, you know, mm. through, through connection and through intercourse or whatever, right. whatever way it is that they had envisioned to becoming pregnant to going, right. then having to have the process become medicalized and sort of sterile in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you seeing are some of the impacts just on the, uh, from the process of trying mm. to conceive uh, on the, on the patient's? Yeah. So I think you hit it right on the head there. And I want to back up a second and just name that a large part of the issue that nearly every fertility patient experiences is that there's this betrayal of what they thought was going to happen. So the dream, the idea, what they see go on around them and what they've been raised understanding has happened that person A and person B fall in love, get together, decide to have a baby and boom, that baby is. And instead, there's maybe that first part and a second part, but not so much that that third and, and future part. And that is actually the start of where the emotional impact shows up. It's a body betrayal um, very often, and it's a betrayal of what we thought we knew to be true in just how life goes. Right. And yet, a consistent and constant seeing that happen for other people around you, people you know and love, mm-hmm. and strangers. Sure. Um, so that's really the first part. Um, from there, what we see a lot of, um, and this is in anything, any research you look up, in my own research, a lot of anxiety is present for fertility patients um, okay. and a good amount of depression as well. Because there's a variety of factors involved, and a lot of depending on other people, depending on medication, depending on processes, depending on procedures, there is not a ton of control that virtually patients really truly feel. Though they may execute all of those things and engage with all of those things, that lack of control related to something that you always understood was just going to happen for you right. is very, very hard to manage emotionally while being way on top of treatments and injections, medication, and all of these things that are required from you at a very timely, in a very timely book, you um, brought back up the relationship aspect, which is huge for those couples who decide to go through fertility treatment. There's a pretty huge impact. And often one or both parties are really struggling with the fact that sex sometimes has to be timed. Their sexual relationship is uh, for some people feeling like it's on display to a whole medical team that you've mm. kind of invited into your life and into, you know, your bed. Um, right. So it can be very, very difficult and awkward. Uh, yeah. yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, that betrayal that you spoke about. Yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of folks. Yeah, well, I think to what you alluded to or said is being like mad at their bodies and ashamed in some way. Like, why can't my body do yeah. this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is just mm-hmm. incredibly painful of a yeah. feeling. This thing that I think in, in terms of myths of like, this is what women are built to do. And mm-hmm. um, if you have a uterus, that means you can make a baby and these kinds of comments from society and really misunderstandings of, of how how stuff really goes down. And then that person is there in their home by themselves feeling the weight of why can't my body do this? Uh, That, that, and 
I mean, that feels like a direct line to, if it goes on for a long time to like stress and depression and anxiety. Absolutely. And another piece there is, you know, as I mentioned earlier, there's sometimes male factor or female factor when it's one of the parties as opposed to the other, then there's also feelings of guilt that show up in the relationship often. Uh, yeah. um, and that shame directly in the relationship, not just in the community as a whole, but like mm-hmm. I'm, you know, your partner, I'm supposed to bring the eggs. I'm supposed to bring the sperm or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm failing you, my partner in this. I've had people say like, I should just leave them because they um, can have, probably have a baby with someone else. I mean, that's a really devastating blow. Oh um, in the relationship yeah. context, right? Yeah. yeah, that's that's really deep. And I think you mentioned when you first started that every everybody's journey is different and no one's journey follows the same track or the same emotional experience necessarily. But the, these are some really common things that you're, Very that people are talking to you about for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think another common one that is not spoken about enough is that once a fertility patient patient achieves pregnancy and maintains it all the way through, there's this expectation for themselves and from other people and even from their providers that like, okay, everything's fine, you're good to go. And mm-hmm. that is so far from the case. Often right. there's a peak in the experience of anxiety during the pregnancy because you've worked so very hard, so hard, and put in so much effort, time, money, tears into getting pregnant. And then there's the fear that, oh my gosh, I might lose pregnancy. And so even after that pretty key time when um, people tend to have a reduction in their anxiety after that 12th week, that, that's not always there for fertility patients because they're very, very aware whether they've had previous losses or not, right. that there's a fragility when it comes to reproductive health that they had not previously known or conceived of. And so now they're kind of white knuckling it, so to speak, through the rest of their their pregnancy. And then after the baby's here, oftentimes there is an extra anxiety about almost the fragility and the preciousness of the baby that they work so hard to have that is not seen as much in folks who did not have to go through that fertility journey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then beyond that, even when, you know, time has passed, there can still be surges of like jealousy for people who get pregnant all of a sudden or weren't expecting to, or random people just walking by who are pregnant in recognition of the trauma that they experienced just trying to get pregnant. Yeah. You and I were in a store together the other day and there were so many pregnant women in there. And you said right away, this would be like a fertility, someone who's going through fertility issues and a nightmare for them. Um, And I think that's, that speaks to, and I think it's awesome that you're that aware that like your clients would feel upset in this situation. Mm. But yeah, it speaks to just how also silent that is. It's yeah. such an internal process. It's not like, you know, somebody who's going through fertility treatments is like yelling at other pregnant people. Like, how, how did you get right. pregnant? Mm-hmm. It's inside and they're sitting with it and it's stewing. And that you, you, you sort of can't escape that. It's a, mm-hmm. it's everywhere. And right. And so like that un- unexpected, you're just walking into a store to get a shirt or something. And here you are mm-hmm. now having to deal with, okay, here, here's all my pain and grief mm-hmm. and sadness and shame. Just yeah. here it is. Yep. Yep. Right. And <laughs> right. 
<laughs> right. It's it's so tough yeah. to, to have to weather that kind of a storm Absolutely. when you least expect it. Right, right. I want to, if we can, shift slightly uh, gears to understand what you're hearing from, at least from um, people who are going through the process of fertility treatments. What is happening on the medical side that might be impacting the patient? Yeah, well, a lot, a whole lot. Um, (laughs) So there's just the treatments, the medication is a separate thing from dealing with, you know, appointments, medical staff and medical team. So on the medication and treatment side, there's a whole lot going on, admittedly more so for women than for uh, male identifying patients in the fertility process, but there's medication that, you know, makes women very, very bloated, moody, tearful, breast tenderness, all sorts of stuff at a time when, as you said before, their fertility struggles pretty silent. And yet their body is kind of sometimes raging with a whole bunch of things going on. And they're just having to do their regular job and go to work and tend to their family or to, you know, whatever. But a whole bunch is going on for them. There's a, a whole lot for, for folks in that that we could be here for days talking about. Right, yes. uh, but it's a pretty pretty difficult part of the experience for some. And and of course, some don't have many side effects, if any, um, related to the medications. But every client I've ever seen. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. In terms of how these medications and there's like shots to take and all all of this stuff, how 
Uh, what are some common things you see about how it impacts people's mental health? Yeah. Yeah. So keep in mind that by the time someone is, you know, doing injections, taking medication, they've already invested in many ways into this process and are probably already pretty darn stressed out, if not anxious and or depressed. So when a medication comes on board and really any medication, but specifically these medications um, that impact our, our mood and our hormones and all of that, the dip down into depression or the peak up into anxiety and honestly back and forth and consistently between the two is pretty common. Um, and it may only be for some folks for a few days or even a few weeks when you are already right there on the, on the edge, on the brink of those experiences or already deeply into it, yeah. um, it can feel pretty wild. And I've had folks, you know, report that they just feel kind of out of their mind. Um, their partner saying like, they're not acting like themselves. And fortunately it is short-lived. These are not, they're not um, long-term ongoing complications of medication once mm-hmm. they've been um, discontinued, but it's a bit of a wild ride for some while they're going through it. And when you connect that to trying to conceive, you know, with your partner or, you know, with the physician in office, with the lab involved, it's, it's a bit tough to stay connected to yourself and your partner into the process. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I'm glad you're, you mentioned that that's, it's short-lived because that, you know, that sounds like it could be potentially overwhelming or off-putting and, you know, when somebody's already dealing with so much at that point too, they're like, Oh, I assume they're saying like, okay, well, this, this is where we're at. And this is what we have to do because the the goal at that point is so strong. Like you said, by the time they've gotten to that point, they're so invested. So, right. Um, You know, whatever. It's so interesting. It's kind of like, in some ways it makes me think that it's not the first parts of, of like mothering or parenting, but it is Mm-hmm. The the like I will do anything to have yeah. this baby kind of a feeling is sort of falls in that category, I think. Absolutely. I tell my clients all the time, you're a mother, you're a parent, you just don't have your baby. Mm-hmm. Like you were acting as the parent or acting as the mother, creating that space for your baby to enter and to be safe and, and cared for. You just have to do it before they get it. That's a really important part of that the process. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Wow. I think yeah. we, yeah, we can definitely spend a lot of time on the the mental, emotional impacts of all of yeah. this. And I want, I want to also understand a little bit more about what happens in the process with the medical team. It's, certainly there's the, the medications and, and all of that, which is quite a lot, but what, what are you hearing from patients in terms of their, what makes a good experience for them versus what makes it yeah. more stressful? Yeah. So fertility treatments are very time sensitive and fertility centers obviously know that. And so they work really hard to be available, you know, every day and at all the times in order to get people in and work around schedules and all of that. But I said this recently on on another, in another space that, you know, businesses are made up of people. Mm-hmm. And people have bad days, people have good days, and people fail. And when you're going through such an intricate process that is so intimately meaningful to you, and you have to rely on someone who's answering the phone to have a good attitude or to book you at the right time or your window to be met, 
it can be pretty rough. It can be pretty rough. I will say in my experience and, and what I've heard from my clients for the most part, their experience with fertility teams is much better than their experience with primary care teams or you know whoever else in terms of like how the team is more consistently like pleasant and accommodating. Um, and so it's really, really good. But that does not mean that the team is deeply connected to the emotional needs of patients and the psychological distress that they're going through. And so a lot of times there can be a disregarding of the emotional side of the patient experience because the team just wants to get you pregnant. And so they're they're not likely all the way all the time tuned in to I'm now gonna ask you to do this other treatment. This is a whole other twenty thousand dollars, or you know, your partner's not here to help you discuss it and you're not in a place right now to make decisions on your own or whatever might be coming up for any uh, patient or couple okay. that's going through this really deeply emotional process. Um, they do become aware when folks are presenting as anxious or depressed in a way that then impacts their ability to move forward with treatment. And that's typically when they tell them to get a call, but there's so much that's going on around that. Honestly, there's another bit in there that I really wish medical teams paid attention to more which is, and some do, uh, which is when their celebrations or acknowledgements or honestly even other patients in the waiting room who have already gotten pregnant, right? Some teams have gotten it figured out and they'll have a separate waiting room for folks who have already achieved pregnancy and from the folks who are actively in the process, and which is just brilliant. But it, it's a lot. It's a lot to go through. And, you know, we know, bless them, but we know that, you know, medical folks are not typically trained in the psychological. They're not trained to really hold emotional space for the patients. And it's so highly needed. And so when you're a fertility patient and you're looking for a team, you're just looking for somebody with the best results and that gets the job done and gets you in quickly because everything's so time sensitive. Right. You're not looking for necessarily is someone with the fantastic bedside manner or who really gets the emotional mental health side of it until you need it. And by then you're already kind of committed to the process with this particular provider or this particular team, because if they don't show up in a way that feels emotionally good, changing to another provider could be missing an entire cycle. And when in your fertility process and when you're 35, 39, 43, a cycle could be everything for you. When you only have so many eggs left, mm-hmm. one cycle could be all you have, mm-hmm. right? So the medical team is so important, but it's tough. They have a tough job and, and patients sometimes really struggle with getting their emotional needs met in that space. It's great that you have a connection to some of these clinics and that they know to, or at least there's some point at which they realize, oh, maybe we should refer this person for mental health support. But it kind of makes me wonder how many clinics don't have that connection and access to somebody who's trained and knowledgeable and can train them even um, on on what to look for, like how to know when to refer. Um, So I I imagine that a lot of people aren't getting referrals. Absolutely. Or not getting them soon enough, which Uh is a really big deal. Um, yeah. By the time I've gotten a referral from a medical team uh, for a client, they should have been seeing someone at, at least six months to a year prior. Mm-hmm. And so it's uh, the repair work in those instances is pretty tough for folks. 
Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, to your point, the training is so, so vital. And that's something that I really gladly offer to medical teams anywhere because yeah. when to refer, what to look out for, how to verbalize certain things. Oh, that's to a big one. Patients. <laughs> Huge, huge, for sure. especially when, you know, you've got the interracial uh, client couples, you've got um, folks from the LGBTQIA plus community. There's a lot to really think about in how the language that medical providers are trained to use needs to be adjusted to attend to the emotional experience that their patients are having, like they're creating life. Yeah. Oh, it makes me so sad to think of how many people are dealing with this without an an a proper referral for the, the right kind of support. I mean, it's, yeah. it's already hard. It's already hard. And then to feel isolated and alone and ashamed or all, all of those things that you, you were bringing up before all the a while trying to hold up your own process of getting your, your baby here. Right. I remember, I remember talking to a patient a while back about their concern that like, it's, it's almost like you're on a moving train and mm you can't quite attend to all the things that you know are there sometimes like the anxiety, the worry, how am I going to feel afterwards? Feels like the stress is building up. And then what's going to happen when this baby gets here? Like, is it all going to come up at that point? And mm-hmm. maybe sometimes it does. Um, but then also you're in the middle of dealing with a newborn or a baby in the NICU or a new set of stressors. Multiple. Mm-hmm. Multiple, sure, for sure. Yeah. So having the support of a trained uh, reproductive psychologist yeah. or therapist who is trained in, I mean, all, all of the medical side of things, all of the stuff you were describing before, which I realize is just a drop in the bucket of what somebody would need to know to be proficient. But um, that is so necessary and so needed. I love that you do this training for clinics and I hope you know, more clinics get this kind of adequate training. And I would say my dream would be that there would be a psychologist or a psychological team in every REI clinic. Oh my gosh. I mean, yes. Why is that not happening? We know why, right? (laughs) But um, hopefully someday that'll be, that'll be there. And I know some do, but all of them should do that. How do we make that happen? Well, I mean, I think to your, what I think you're alluding to is that mental health isn't really considered as much as it should be or seen as a, as big of a factor as it should be going back to it's causing a overt problem for sure. Which to your point is that when it's like people are overflowing at that point and needed a long time ago. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think this goes back to where we started with the mind-body connection and how important it is that both are being considered, especially when it comes to this like kind of sterile and medicalized experience for the patient. You know, there there is so much to know here. And I realize that this might feel overwhelming for some of the listeners or maybe even very instructional and, and supportive and maybe both. It can be all of the things. When it comes to, you know, what people, what is something that people can like hold on to in terms of, of hope and process through this? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. And it's, it's honestly a much tougher one to answer than I wish it were. Um, mm-hmm. This is really individual, right? Yeah. And so the thing that I really try to work with my clients to hold on to each of them is that regardless of 
how this ends, regardless of their kind of stopping point, whether that's with a baby in their arms or adoption or child-free living or, you know, whatever it may be, they are still a completely whole and, and worthy, worthwhile person with or without baby. Mm-hmm. And I think that's both the starting point and the ending point that I want people to get to. Uh, yeah, and then I try to thread through all of our work together. Absolutely. Ooh, that I felt that like, that's so important. Mm-hmm. Ooh, uh, and I hope uh, people who are listening can really like deeply let that sink in. Cause that, that feels yeah. pretty vital. Yeah. Pretty vital. Yeah. I will also say that there are resources um, mm-hmm. available, right? Yes. And a couple of uh, places I often refer folks to is resolve.org, R-E-S-L-L-D-E.org. Great, great organization that provides lots of resources and support for fertility clients and groups, um, support groups. There's Facebook groups these days, so many of those. Yeah. A lot of churches will offer support groups for fertility patients because, you know, one in four. So everyone's out there there's another resource for those folks who are just wanting to like get the information that's so hard to get which is you know what is this treatment what does this do why do i have to do this how much does this typically cost which can be very very helpful when you're determining which um, resources to use which providers to go after and all of that and it's fertility iq fertilityiq.com i believe you can just type in fertility iq and you know the therapeutic support i think a lot of folks don't make use of it until um, it's past time. And so I really encourage folks to connect with a reproductive psychologist or therapist really, really early on, as soon as you think that you might need to go this route for that support. And even if you don't go every week or every month, just knowing that you have that person that you can pop into when you need to um, is yeah. invaluable so that you don't have to do it when it feels like everything is you know, blowing up or falling apart. Yeah. That that is beautiful advice. Um, thank you for giving those resources. We will for sure have those in the show notes. And I just I want to thank you so much. I know we just scratched the surface of all of this information and of your knowledge and experience. So I'm grateful that you brought this here for us. And um, yeah. just thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm so glad that people are going to be able to um, take this in and take what they need and put whatever else they can't on the shelf for now. Awesome. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for listening. Please do find us now on YouTube and at momandmind.com. And we are available wherever podcasts are played. And you're welcome to also join us on social media. And Dr. Long, where can people find you? On our website, which is arccounselingandwellness.com or on social media at ARC Counseling and Wellness or Dr. Marissa Long. Great. Fantastic. And uh, we will have all those resources also available on our Instagram account at mom and mind. All right. Thank you so much, friend. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. 
but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.